When the wife of Uriah heard that her husband was dead, she made lamentation for him. When the mourning was over, David sent and brought her to his house, and she became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord, and the Lord sent Nathan to David. He came to him and said to him, There were two men in a certain city, the one rich and the other poor. The rich man had very many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing but one little ewe lamb which he had bought. He brought it up, and it grew up with him and with his children. It used to eat of his meager fare and drink from his cup and lie in his bosom, and it was like a daughter to him. Now there came a traveler to the rich man, and he was loath to take one of his own flock or herd to prepare for the wayfarer who had come to him. But he took the poor man's lamb and prepared that for the guest who had come to him. Then David's anger was greatly kindled against the man. He said to Nathan, As the Lord lives, the man who has done this deserves to die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. Nathan said to David, You are the man. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I am going to you king over Israel, and I rescued you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house and your master's wives into your bosom, and gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if that had been too little, I would have added as much more. Why have you despised the word of the Lord to do what is evil in his sight? You have struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword, and have taken his wife to be your wife, and have killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword shall never depart from your house. For you have despised me, and have taken the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your wife. Thus says the Lord, I will raise up trouble against you from within your own house, and I will take your wives before your eyes and give them to your neighbor, and he shall lie with your wives in the sight of his very son. For you did it secretly, but I will do this thing before all Israel and before the son. David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Here with the Spirit of the Savior of the Church.
Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I, therefore, the prisoner in the Lord, beg you to be the light worthy of the calling to which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, making every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all. But each of us is given grace according to the measure of Christ's gift. Therefore, it is said, when he ascended on high, he made captivity itself a captive. He gave gifts to his people. When it says he ascended, what does it mean that he had also descended into the lower parts of the earth? He who descended is the same one who ascended far above all the heavens, so that he might fill all things. The gifts he gave were that some would be apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ, until all of us come to the unity of the faith and of the knowledge of the Son of God, to maturity, to the measure of the full stature of Christ. We must no longer be children, tossed to and fro, and blown about by every wind of doctrine, by people's trickery, by their craftiness and deceitful scheming. But speaking the truth in love, we must grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body, joined and knit together by every ligament with which it is equipped, as each part is working properly, promotes the body's growth in building itself up in love. Hear what the Spirit is saying to the church.
of the ancient Moses may be heard an echo of God's mighty deed. In the miracle of the loaves and fishes, mortals once more felt they ate the bread of angels. All the same, in seeking to comprehend what has happened, they can only see as in a glass darkly. In this, they are quite like us, speaking for myself. When we cannot see beyond our viewpoints and our expectations, when we cannot turn away from the noise of our wired lives to be present to the loved ones in the same room with us. So maybe we can recognize a familiar obtuseness in the people questioning Jesus. Their perceptions are shaped by memories and preconceptions of what they learned as children about God. And so they are having a hard time making out this man in front of them, in front of them. And they struggle to understand, asking, what is this work you are doing? Are you a liberator and a lawgiver like Moses? Jesus answered the questions that they asked, but he goes beyond their categories of thinking and gives answers to questions they don't know how to ask. Don't get caught up in the bread, Jesus seems to tell them, nor waste your life in getting and spending. Don't fight to keep the past upon its throne. If you filter the presence of the living through narrow ideas or dogmas or doctrines or childhood beliefs, you may well miss what's right in front of you. I am the bread of life, says the Son of Man. He tells them, the living God is among you. The ancient of days that long ago set our enslaved ancestors free is present now. Life, another name for God, shimmers and pulses right here, right now, moment by moment. Can you see it? If we can awaken to thy presence, Jesus says, we will know who we are and what we need to do now. It is striking to me to realize that in John's Gospel, uniquely among the four Gospels, the central event of the Last Supper is not the institution of the Eucharist, where Jesus takes the bread and wine, says, this is my body, this is my blood. John doesn't even tell them about that. Rather, in John, the central event of the last meal is the foot washing. Jesus, with extravagant tenderness, bathes the gnarly old feet of his disciples. But the absence of the institution of the Eucharist does not mean that communion is unimportant to John. On the contrary, even though John 
as no institution of the Eucharist. He has taken what was by then a well-known tradition of Christian worship and illuminated its heart of loving kindness, its ethic of service. I am the bread of life. In John, it's here, chapter 6, is the place where the institution of the Eucharist is shown. Because for John, all of Jesus' life and ministry and words and love institutes the sacrament of the Holy Eucharist. When I ventured into Trinity for the first time, first event of about 27 years ago,
So in terms of the old science, transubstantiation seemed to neatly explain the physics of Christ's real presence in the sacrament. But when Aristotelian science was superseded by modern physical science, transubstantiation for many people lost its explanatory value and then became codified as doctrine or dogma, itself opaque and impenetrable. So, as I said, these were the understandings that I was carrying as a cradle of Catholic. Please don't hear me to say that all Catholics see the Eucharist in this way now. Um, we should ask our Catholic friends what they actually believe and see. We may be amazed and instructed by the breadth of their experience of the sacrament. But this is what I was carrying. So I was all ears when I came into the forum and heard in the conversation one person, I believe it was our dear Baptist man, who raised a very good question of the difference that I just alluded to, the difference between the crucifix in Catholic churches with the crucified corpus and the simple cross in our churches. She said, we do not have the body on the cross because we do not believe in the literal body and blood, but rather for us, the Eucharist is a symbol of the Last Supper, right? That's how that asked the question. Trinity's rector at the time, David Barney, gave an illuminating reply. No, Gabby, he said, the Eucharist is more to us than a mere symbolic recollection of a past event. We believe in the real presence of Christ in the sacrament. Christ is truly present in a sacramental way. graceful that viewpoint seems. Simple view of Christ as really present in a sacramental way, unburdened of doctrine and doctrine, seemed to me to be a wonderfully direct, liberated, open, open to sacramental imagination where you're looking open to the sacramental imagination, and beyond that, to the unfathomable mystery at the heart of faith. When I spoke about this at 8 o'clock, one perceptive, lifelong Episcopalian reminded me that if you have 10 Episcopalians in the same room, you may have 12 different explanations of Holy well, but I think, I think that we do speak of our worship as participation in the heavenly banquet at God's table, love residing. It's as though the table is set, your seat is saved for you, your chair has been drawn out, inviting you to take your place. Therefore, we say, in grateful joy. Therefore, let us keep the feast. Nourished at that table, we leave to live 
as Christ's body in the world. In worship, we can experience boundless freedom to be really present ourselves, to life unfolding in every moment, to one another, released as we can be from preoccupation and prejudgment, free to simply see one another face to face. I am the bread of life, Jesus says. We believe that Christ is really present to us in the bread and the wine. Yes, within our gathered community and prayer. In our song, in our sharing of life, in our mutual acts of mercy and loving kindness, in our freedom to seek and to give forgiveness, in our actions out those doors beyond our worship, to share the justice and mercy and wisdom and unconditional love that we know is offered to us and to all beings. Do you remember that poem by George Herbert, the Anglican priest poet, Love, Baby, Welcome? Since the sermon began with the playwright John the Evangelist, I will end it with an offering of poetry, inviting your imagination to soar free as an artist of faith, when together we worship the holy mystery present to us in a sacramental way. George Herbert. Love made me welcome, but my soul drew back guilty of dust and sin. But quick-eyed love, observing me grow slack from my first entrance in, drew nearer to me, sweetly questioning if I lacked anything. I guess I answered worthy to be here. Says love, you shall be she. I am kind and grateful. Oh, my dear, I cannot Love took my hand and smiling to reply, Who made the eyes but I? Truth, Lord, but I have a heart. Let my sin go where it doth deserve. Know you not, says Love, who bore the blame? My dear, then I will serve. You must sit down, says Love, and taste my meat. So I did sit.
Let us pray for the church and for the world. In the Anglican cycle of prayer, we pray for the Diocese of Grand Sudan, for the worldwide Anglican communion, and for Justice Archbishop of Canterbury. In our Diocese cycle of prayer, we pray for the ministries of Christ Church of Plymouth, St. Mary's of the Harbor Provincetown, Emmanuel Church, Manchester by the Sea, the Cape and Islands Deanery, and the Episcopal Church of Women. We pray for Catherine, our presiding bishop, Michael, our presiding bishop-elect, and for Alan and Dale, our bishops, and all clergy and other ministers. Grant, Almighty God, that all who confess your name may be united in your truth, live together in your love, and reveal your glory in the world. Lord, in your mercy, we pray for all in authority, remembering especially Barack, our president, and Charlie, our governor. Guide the people of this land and of all nations in the ways of justice and peace, that we may honor one another and serve the common good. Lord, in your mercy, give us all a reverence for the earth as your own creation, that we may use its resources rightly in the service of others and to your honor and glory. Lord, in your mercy, bless all whose lives are closely linked to heaven, and pray that we may serve Christ in them and love one another. Lord, in your mercy. We pray especially today for Todd and Katie, Jackie, Minnie, Phyllis, Susie, Hugh, Pamela, Susan, Jack, Pauline, Chris, Elizabeth, Eric, Joanna, Sophie, Bailey, Peter, Janet, Eric, Kirsty, Jim, Gail, Bobby and Sidney, Gwen, the Clary family, Aaron, Gwen and Jenny, Spencer and Lisa, Alan, Kathy, Alanova, Susan, Deborah, Jane, Edie, Liz, those without jobs, those serving in the military, those who suffer from war and all who work for are your others? Comfort and heal all, all those who suffer in body, mind, and spirit. Give them courage and hope in their troubles, and bring them the joy of your salvation. Lord, of your mercy. We commend your mercy all who have died. 
May the blessing of God Almighty.